Hello everyone, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremy McCandless and you're welcome whether you're here for the first time or you've been here from the very beginning. Welcome to the latest episode in our series of Season 6 where we're exploring together the Gospel of Mark. In the episode today we're going to think about a sombre but still an enlightening topic, the funeral of Jesus, as described for us in Mark chapter 15 verses 40 to 47. You know, funerals often reveal deep insights, not only into the departed, but also about those who choose to attend. Today, we're going to reflect on, well, the burial of Jesus, and we're going to focus on the individuals present. In particular, I'll discuss the significant roles of the women who attended and the effect that these events had on them and thereby everybody else. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You know, you can learn a lot by going to a funeral. Maybe you've been to a funeral and learned something about the person who has died. Something that you didn't know before. This happens to me a lot. In fact, it's happened many times. However, when attending a funeral, you can not only learn a lot about the person who has recently died, but you can also get some added insights into their life by those who chose to attend. What I want to do today is talk about, well, it's not really a funeral as such, it's a burial, and one particular burial. And we're not only going to talk about the person who died, but we're also going to talk about the people who attend the burial of Jesus. At this burial service, there's going to be no eulogy. There wasn't really any form of a service at all, in fact. There was just a simple burial, an entombment, with a few people attending. However, I believe there's something we can learn if we look not only at what happened, but at the people who actually attended this particular event. And we'll also notice who wasn't actually there. There were two basic groups of people at the burial of Jesus or you might say there was one group and then another individual and you will particularly notice that the small group of people was actually made up of women and there was also the single guy a guy called Joseph of Arimathea who was the one who had become responsible for the actual burial itself so I want us firstly and mainly to look at the woman but then also at Joseph Joseph of Arimathea The text will begin by telling us something about these several women, identifying them for us, and ends up showing us that some of these women were there at the end. The same women who had accompanied Jesus were the ones who were at the end actually attending as Jesus' body was laid to rest. So who were these women, and what is their significance of their story, and what can we learn from them? Well, let's do what we always do. It's a short passage today, but we're going to look at each verse individually, verse by verse, and then we'll try and get the bigger meaning, the helicopter view, and the application at the end when I draw it all together. That's the plan anyway. So join with me as we begin, and let me read the opening couple of verses from today's passage for you. Mark 15, 40-41. And it tells us some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. 
In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now, we're told elsewhere in Scripture, well, that this first woman identified Mary Magdalene was the woman that Jesus had delivered from demonic possession. We can perhaps understand, having been delivered from this awful affliction, why she might choose to want to follow the Lord and be part of that group, a group of devoted women who cared for his needs. There are a number of places in the New Testament where we see, we get glimpses of a small group of women, this group that are mentioned here. But it is worth noting that each time, on each occasion, that this group of women are mentioned, Mary Magdalene is always mentioned first. Many Bible and scholars would say this, that this indicates that she was probably the leader of this group of ladies. Another woman mentioned here is also called Mary, and she's identified as Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph. Describing her this way indicates that this was a woman whose children were well known in the community. And then there is Salome, and we are told elsewhere she ministered to the Lord with her worldly goods. And please note the text actually also says that many other women had come up with with them to Jerusalem and they'd followed him there, meaning they'd followed the body of Jesus to this place. So here is a group of women who followed along, who were taught by the Lord, who heard what he said and who supported him, some financially and just in the practical ways. We know this from Luke chapter 8, by the way. And these women, it tells us here, they had followed the Lord all the way to Jerusalem and here they have followed his body and remained by his side, it would seem, to the very bitter end. Now let's just pause for a moment and remind you where this passage belongs in the overall narrative of the Gospel of Mark that we've been looking at together. At this point in the story, you remember this last week of Jesus' life, there's been great hostility towards the Lord which climaxed him with being crucified only the day before. The Sanhedrin were hostile to him. The Roman soldiers were hostile towards him. The religious leaders even were now hostile towards him. And it would seem that even the ordinary people in the street had turned against him. And now, do you notice, even his disciples weren't there. They had fled. Now that suggests to me that these women, well, of course, they would have at least been fearful After all, all the disciples had disappeared and fled. And because they were followers of Jesus, I suppose the disciples might have thought that they were going to be next. But the women, these women, had overcome their fears and would remain faithful until the end. Their devotion to the Lord had meant that they had put him above even their own personal safety and welfare. They had remained faithful to the very end, more so even than the disciples. I think there's a huge lesson for us, I'm sure. Now we come to the second person in the passage, namely Joseph of Arimathea. Now Joseph, this is a, he's an interesting character. Verse 43 tells us this about him. Just a little bit of information, but very poignant. It tells us Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent member of the council. Now that's interesting because it says he was a member of the council. Well, that means he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And not just an ordinary member, he would have been a prominent member if he had been part of the council. 
And then the text also continues and tells us that he was, and it says about him, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. And he, it was he who went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. Now John's account actually tells us that he was in fact a disciple of the Lord, but he kept it secret. In other words, he followed the Lord, believed in him, but as it says, he kept it secret, and as John's account tells us, he did that out of fear of the Jews. So it's critical to understand what's really going on here. Here is this man, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent, respectable member of the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, who has secretly come to believe that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah. However, well, he's frightened, you might say understandably frightened, of how his fellow members of that Sanhedrin might react if they knew this, because he's witnessed how they've responded to Jesus all along, particularly in this last week. But what is really amazing is that after the death of Jesus, he took courage, he plucked up courage and boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body. Now the key statement, as it says in most of the translation, is that he took courage and went boldly before the council and requested that he might have the body of Jesus Christ. So we see in this passage that at the end Joseph stood up and spoke up for the Lord. However, he did more than just that. He stood up, he spoke up, and then he sacrificially served the Lord. Well, how so? Well, Mark 15, 45 and 46 says, When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So he's serving, ministering to the Lord, even in death, by taking down his body, wrapping it in linen, and placing it in the tomb. Now it's worth noting that on a practical level, Joseph could not have removed Christ's body from the cross all by himself. As a matter of fact, we are told in the Gospel of John that Nicodemus helped him. Remember that chap who he met secretly, Jesus met secretly by, by night? And Nicodemus was also a member of the ruling council. He was the guy who came out and asked Jesus how he might be born again when he secretly met with Jesus in the middle of the night. So here, at the burial of Jesus, are actually two members of the Sanhedrin, both with a lot to be worried about, but yet two men who took courage and at the end stood up for the Lord. And having seen him crucified, were now still willing to be identified with him and serve him. But it wasn't just an act of service for a dead man. This is a really significant spiritual sacrifice, a spiritual point they're making here. Because you note that it says that they handled the body. Now for a Jew to handle a dead body meant they would have been disqualified or taking part in any way participating in the Passover. And this is all occurring on the eve of the Passover, the great event once a year. And they had just done something that means they were defiled in the eyes of their people and most importantly their whole faith group. So they bury Jesus, they take down his body, bury him in a tomb cut out of rock. 
and they roll a large stone across the door of the tomb. And many believe Isaiah 53, which prophesied this, is fulfilled here. This is what Isaiah 53 says in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Okay, that's the text. So let me sum all of this up by simply saying, here is a group of people at the burial of Jesus, all who should have been very afraid. We wouldn't blame them if they just kept their heads down, because by standing up at the end, as they've done, they might well have been put next for crucifixion. Not just in the case of the woman, but also in the circumstance of Joseph of Arimathea, who has actually gone and stood up before the sole Sanhedrin and has now identified himself as a follower of the Lord. I think the lesson to be learned by in all of this is that we too need to overcome our fears. We sometimes need to overcome our fears and stand up and do what is right. Fear of the crowd or what we might think can stop us in our tracks. It certainly stopped the disciples who in a matter of days had all turned and fled. It hadn't stopped Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus though from standing up at this point. I wonder if you've ever heard of a guy called Khrushchev, Nikita Sergeyevich Khrushchev. He was actually the first secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union from 1953 to 1964. He was the most amazing and yet terrifying of men. He was a high-ranking officer among the Russian troops during the siege of Stalingrad. I recommend you read his biography if you have a chance or you read Stalingrad, the great historical account by Anthony Beaver. Anyway, he rose to the position as chairman of the USSR Council of Ministers and he was responsible for the de-Stalinization of the Soviet Union after the war and negotiations with the Americans at the height of the Cold War in the 50s and 60s. He was a superb strategist, a no-mean chess pair, and many would say he totally outmaneuvered the West in the East-West arms negotiations post-World War II. The thing he's famous for is a famous incident that occurred at the annual UN General Assembly meeting where at a heated point in the debate he stood up and banged a shoe on the table, repeatedly shouting, We will bury you. We will bury you. But it's also worth noting that on one occasion many years earlier, after the war, he was chairing a large public meeting back in the Soviet Union where they were discussing and addressing and really beginning to come to terms with some of the atrocities of Stalin. And at one point, someone from the large crowd in the auditorium shouted loudly, you were one of his closest ministers, why didn't you stand up against him and speak out about what he did? Khrushchev at this point stood up and prowled the edge of the stage and at the top of his voice thundered, who said that? There was a long, prolonged silence. And as he pried the stage, glaring at the audience, waiting to hear, no one moved a muscle, not a sound was heard. Khrushchev then said, now you know why no one spoke up. You know, as a postscript to the shoe-banging incident, 20 years later, RAI, which is the Italian broadcaster, came up with some photographs showing that Khrushchev still actually had on both his shoes under the table during the incident. 
In fact, a former UN staffer from East Germany confirmed that what actually happened was Khrushchev took a single shoe from a gift of over a thousand pair of shoes that had been gifted to the Soviet people by the East German Federal Ministry of Economics that day. And he took that out, pre-planned this and used that shoe to bang it on the table. Anyway, what's the solution? How should we respond when we feel challenged or even are afraid? Should we wait until the fear subscribes before we take courage? Or is taking courage the solution to the fear? Perhaps, friend, I believe this suggests we are called not to wait until the fear is gone, but to speak when we're actually afraid. Paul, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, wrote this about these things. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with the eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved I knew nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. So friends, take heart. Please note, this is not about having an arrogant attitude. It's not about haranguing people of their status before a holy God. This is about coming before people in a place of humility and even weakness. Paul said, I come to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Did you hear that? Paul himself said that when he came, he was in great fear and trembling. But note, he didn't wait until the fear subsided. He took courage and spoke authentically, even whilst he was afraid. And that, I believe, is an important part of what we can learn in this passage. Modern psychology is just beginning to reveal how making a willful decision to face your fears is the thing that enables you to almost rewire your brain in terms of the stress those fears call you. It's actually the basis of many cognitive-based therapies. So, when we look at this story in this situation, we ask, were these women afraid? Probably, yes, they were very afraid. Was Joseph afraid? Definitely. It actually says he was. But the important point to note is they didn't let their fear control their decision-making. They did what they knew was right, and they stood up and took his body for burial, and by speaking up for him, they showed great courage. You know, in the end of the day, courage is only courage when you do something uh, which you're afraid to do. There's no real courage, is there, if you're not afraid? So next time you're afraid, friends, willingly step up and take courage and do the right thing and try and do it whilst you are afraid. There is a story I read many years ago. I can't remember the book, but I remember the story. It was the autobiography of a famous American physician who rose to a high position of prominence in what we in the UK call the General Medical Council. He wrote about the time when he was a young trainee theatre technician completing his first full day of responsibilities assisting a very well-known surgeon of that day. At the end of the operation he counted and he noticed there were 11 sponges. There should have been 12. You only removed 11 sponges 
he said to the surgeon. We removed twelve, he snapped back at him. I removed them all, the doctor declared. We can close the incision now. No, he said, we used twelve, but I have only eleven here. There is one missing. I take full responsibility, the surgeon said, looking at him grimly. Suture and close. You can't do that, he begged. He was only a trainee. What about the patient? The surgeon then smiled, lifted his foot and showed the twelve sponge. He says, you'll do for me, young man. You can assist me any time. Here's my suggestion, friends. We need to look fear in the face and take courage in spite and even when we're in the midst of great fear and trembling, as it's called here. Because the truth is we don't need to rely on persuasive words. In a sense, we just need to get out of the way and let God demonstrate through us his Spirit's power. Because regardless of any loss we might experience today or on that day, a day will come when that courageous step that you took will be recognised when you stand before the God who created this universe. Because one day, friends, you will, we all will stand before the King and we will be given our great, the greatest of rewards. Okay, friends, thank you for joining me. My name is Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You know, fear can really paralyze us and it can prevent us from doing what's right. But drawing on the examples of these brave individuals and described for us in this account, we can be encouraged to face our fears and also to act courageously. As I said, true courage is not the absence of fear, but doing what is right, doing what we know the Lord wants us to do, even when we're afraid. In times of fear, remember the type of courage that the Apostle Paul wrote about. And the fact that courage lies not in the absence of fear, but by acting despite of it. And by taking courage, friends, in all aspects of our Christian faith and walk in life, we can make a positive impact and stand firm in our convictions. Like these individuals here in this story, we too might find the strength to face our fears and to stand up for who and what we really believe. And ultimately knowing that we are earning our reward in the presence of our Creator, Father God Himself. Okay, that's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful. I do hope you will be enable this passage and what we've learned from it today to give you great courage and to stand firm. Can I remind you that you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast? And this podcast is available and can be subscribed to on all the main podcast platforms. So if you're here for the first time, why not click on that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from. And that neat way, you need never miss another single episode. That way, the rhythm of the study of the Bible can become part of your daily life also. And if you've got a moment, why not visit the host page? This podcast is hosted on the thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com 
and it's there you'll find links to places like the social networks, the YouTube channel, which is going to be the place for the long-time archive and playlist format, but also places like my LinkedIn page and even a Patreon account if you'd like to support this ministry and enable it to remain free on all these places it is, not just today, but into the future. And if you've got a moment and are finding that it's helpful, then why not also either write a review or share it on your social media networks? You know, I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you here today. We are part of a community, a community of many tens of thousands of people, perhaps hundreds of thousands, I'm not really sure, but certainly tens of thousands of people all around the world in over 180 countries now who have made the decision to make the study the in-depth study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives. It's given me my call to adventure, my call to service in this latter part of my ministry life. And I'm so grateful for that. We're about to close out season six, which is the book of Mark. And then we'll be going back into the Old Testament to look at the book of Leviticus for around about a month. But as one season ends, there's going to be a couple of bonus episodes coming in between while I just have time to do a little bit of preparation and get ahead of myself, in which I will be telling you and giving you an insight and the first episode of a new podcast I'm planning to launch very soon. So do stick around for that and you'll find that that'll come probably next weekend as we transition from season six, the Gospel of Mark, to season seven. Leviticus. The plan and the project to work through the whole Bible means we're taking alternate books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. That way we're not having to wait for years and years before we get to meet Jesus and see what he's been doing. Okay, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you all. Thank you for all of you who've reached out to me, all those patrons who've emailed me and told me the difference this has made to their lives and their families' lives. What an incredible encouragement that is for me. I love to hear those things. So if you find that this podcast is helping you in that way, please put a comment on the Bible Project Facebook page, or if you're a patron or a Buzzsprout subscriber, reach out to me that way. And with that having been all said, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you again for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Tomorrow for me, whatever day works for you is fine. You do this at whatever pace fits in with the rhythm of your life. But I hope I'll see you back here very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.